famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good, good, good. You sure? Sure. It's a great morning to be alive. It's a great morning to gather together. It's a great morning to be here together. And I am so honored and pleased to be back. It's been a year. And I'm back after, after this year and, and excited to, to be with you again. The last time I was here, I started to disrobe in front of you. I'm not going to do that today. I'll keep my clothes on. Uh, although I will say that I've gained a little weight since then, and this button here is a little tight, and so I might disrobe unintentionally. I'm really excited to be here again. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Asbury is a, a satellite or a campus of Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. And this July 31st, we will have completed our second year as part of the family. And just an update of where we're at and, and, and by, by uh, an opportunity to say thank you for all that you've done. Uh, we have continued to grow. Uh, in the last two years, we've received 42 new members. Uh, we've identified 75 individuals who are regular attendees. That doesn't mean they're all there at the same time, but they're regular and they get there at some point during the month. And so we're excited because when the merger started or when the merger happened, Asbury had had dropped down to about 12 members, active participants, 12 at one time, close to 1200. So that's a big decrease. And part of the reason was that as the demographics and the neighborhoods changed, the church didn't change with it. And so when I arrived in, in 2009, um, I was greeted by 12 elderly members, the small remnant that was left behind, that continued to do what, what they could to make sure that ministry continued in that area, in that neighborhood. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, when I first got there, I was told to go there and bury the church. I had never gone anywhere to bury anything, and I was kind of worried. I was like, Lord, where are you sending me? And uh, I, was, I was a bit put off by that. I didn't imagine that the Lord would, would move in me in such a way that I would fall in love with 12 elderly white people. <laughs> and when I say elderly, I'm talking mid-80s to mid-90s. Right now at Asbury, our, our pianist is playing this morning. She'll be 94 this year. Still playing. She doesn't play every Sunday, but every time she gets an opportunity. And I didn't know that I was going to fall in love with them. And I didn't know that, that, that the Lord was going to give us a vision and, 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 and a plan that would, would hopefully revitalize that church. And the merger with Alamo Heights has made that possible. We had come to the point 
where we were already planning our last service. It was going to be on an Easter Sunday. And we thought that was it. Even though we had a vision, even though we had a plan, even though we, were, we thought we, we should be doing ministry in there, we, we, were, we were starting to realize that just doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem possible. But like he always does, God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And so, so things are changing and, 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 and there's growth and there's life and there's activity and there's ministry and, and, and there's relationships being formed that we're so excited about. And for that, I say thank you to you for your prayers and your support. In fact, this uh, Wednesday, Chris Williams and a, and a group of his friends will be doing some work out there. He's already trying to back out of moving a piano, but we'll, we're going we're gonna to work on that. And so I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about the, the opportunity that has been provided to us. When David called and asked if we would be interested in merging, uh, I didn't know what to think. I was confused. So well, what's in it for you? Why do you want to Merge with this small congregation that's dying, that doesn't have any hope of ever living again. And I give thanks and praise God for for David and for Chris and for all the people who were involved, Bob Rourke, all the people who were involved in making the, the merger possible. Thanking the DS. I, I call him regularly. I say, Carl, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because we had a vision. And we knew that something could happen there. And I used to tell that small group of 12 when we'd gather to talk and say, if people looked in the window right now and, and heard what we were talking about, about what we'd like to see here and what we think is possible, they'd think we're crazy. They say, look at that chubby Hispanic dude with all these old white people, and they think they can reach this neighborhood. And that's exactly what God is doing. And so, thank you. That's not why I came today. I came to, to, to share a message uh, that hopefully, hopefully will, will strengthen me <laughs> and you, but me. And we'll see where God goes from there. Can somebody get me a glass of water? I'm already parched and I just started. Look at that. You ask for water and there's like 10 people ready to go. Praise God. Like you, we've been going through uh, this summer, going through the Bible, looking at different characters. And today we're looking at Naaman. Naaman. And we, we, we hear Jesus mention his name in Luke chapter 4. He was a, a mighty commander, a warrior, if you will, a soldier. And he was good at what he does. He led battles and won battles for the king of Aram. He was a, he was a man of, of power, of authority. But he had leprosy. He had an illness that needed to be dealt with. And he had been trying to, to find healing. He had been trying to, to get well to no avail. 
And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so I'll be reading. Thank you, man. Thank you. I'll be reading in just a moment. Thank you. That's good. I'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aaron had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went up to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to, to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The word of God for the people of God. Naaman, a mighty man, commander, a general, a leader, someone everyone knew, 
Someone of significance who had an issue, who had a problem. He's a main character, or so we think, in this story. His name, by the way, is kind of ironic, means pleasant. Here's this mighty warrior, and his name means pleasant. This man who goes into battle and destroys, and his name means pleasant. I don't know about you, but when I think about the word pleasant, name is not what comes to mind. I think of the movie Pride and Prejudice. I, yeah, I see that movie all the time. I've been married 21 years, and, and so now I see it on my own. So. Yeah, that's how far I've gone. Some of you guys that are not married are thinking... We need to take his man card. 21 years. Happy wife. Amen. But I don't think of Naaman when I think about pleasant. But yet that's what his name means. But he's a mighty man. A commander. A leader. Highly respected by the king of Aram. Man of significance, yet again. And so he sent to Samaria. And another highly respected man, another man of significance, the king of Israel receives a letter that says, that says basically, I want you to heal my, my commander. And this other man of significance is, is enraged. He's, he, he knows that, that there's something that this other king is up to. He, he, wants, he wants a quarrel. He wants a fight. And so then he's reminded to send Naaman to Elisha, the prophet. Another man of significance who everybody knew. And Elisha wants Naaman to know that he's a man of significance. Send him to me. I don't know why you're upset. Send him to me. And that way he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. He'll know that there's someone significant here who speaks for God. And so Naaman goes, expecting Elisha to come to the door and greet him and wave his hand and maybe do some hocus-pocus and, and he'll be healed. But Elisha sends his servant with this message. Tell him to jump in the river seven times and he'll be cleansed. And so Naaman gets upset. He said, he didn't even come to the door to greet me. Doesn't he know who I am? I'm Naaman, the commander of the armies of Aram. And he wants me to jump into that dirty river. We have beautiful rivers in Damascus. Surely I could have jumped into them and be, be cleansed. And all these men of significance... People that everyone knew are what we think the story is about. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking at Asbury about our search for significance. Why do we matter? 
What's our purpose? Why are we here? And oftentimes we think and we feel that we're not significant. That we don't matter. That we don't have much to offer. When nothing could be further from the truth. Surely it's the pastors who are important with regard to the church. With regard to the ministry of the church, surely they're called by God to do what God wants them to. They're significant. But I'm here today to tell you that there isn't a pastor in any church who is more significant than those who sit in the pews. You see, in the story of Naaman, we we tend to focus on, on the main characters. And God will use men of significance, women of significance, of, of high stature. God will use them and does. We, we can think of a few just offhand. Uh, Moses. David. Paul. Peter. Everybody knows their name. But they weren't always men of high stature. In this story, what we see is God using those who would have been considered insignificant. It starts off with the maid servant. Really, she was a young girl who was captured in battle. Who had the faith in her God to go before her master and to say, or her mistress, and to say, if, if, if my master would go to, to Israel to, to uh, go see uh, the prophet, I know that he can be healed. Doesn't even give her name. And so we would think that she's insignificant. But none of this happens until she stands up and opens her voice and says, there's a prophet in Samaria who can heal Naaman. Somebody who probably was considered very insignificant. And then when when they finally get to Israel to Samaria. The king's enraged and reminded that Elisha is there. Elisha doesn't go out to meet Naaman. He sends another person who we would think is insignificant. His servant. Who tells Naaman, go go jump in the river. Go bathe seven times. And you will be cleansed. And then Naaman gets upset and is enraged that, that, that Elisha didn't come out and, and tells him to jump in what, what would be considered an insignificant river in the region. And it isn't until his servants 
who are not the main players in this story again. Say, Master, wouldn't you do whatever the prophet said? If he'd asked you to do something great, wouldn't you do it? And so Naaman realizes, okay, let me do this simple act. This insignificant act of of washing in this insignificant river. As he's reminded by his insignificant servant. And then the unexpected happens. Naaman is healed. And is mentioned by Jesus some 2,000 years later. The only one at that time healed of leprosy. Because some insignificant people dared to say something. Or so we would think they were insignificant. But in all reality, in all truth, there's not one in God's eyes who is insignificant. Even when we think there's nothing that we have to offer, God can use us. Even when we think that we really don't matter, we matter to God. God will use the mighty, and he often does. But he'll also use you and me. When I tell the story about Asbury, much of the attention and much of the focus typically goes to those we would consider significant. Goes to David's leadership. Goes to the district superintendent's foresight. Goes to those who who can make things happen. But what I... What I've come to realize is that I've often neglected focusing on those who truly matter. Who truly made it possible. And it was those 12 insignificant elderly members who did all that they could for decades to make sure those doors didn't close. To make sure that ministry continued somehow, some way. It wasn't in the conference newspapers. It wasn't in the San Antonio Express news that these twelve, this remnant of twelve elderly members was 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 standing valiantly, was was doing all that they could, even when they couldn't walk anymore. Were still driving in their cars through the neighborhood with me. We were doing drive-bys, praying, praying for the neighborhood. But they often get overlooked because we would consider them insignificant. But I shudder to think what would have happened if they had given up before this merger opportunity came about. What business would have been at 4601 San Pedro 
If they had said, I'm tired. I don't want to go any further. That's prime real estate. And I know because I've had a lot of people come and inquire about it over the years. But these 12 elderly, tired, very significant individuals held on until God made a way that seemed impossible. There isn't one person in this room who is insignificant. Who doesn't have a purpose that God can use. One of the things we tell we tell people that come to Asbury that are struggling, that are hurting that are doing without it'll be the same thing I tell you in the eyes of God you matter you're so important and you're so loved and you've got so much significance Sometimes we think that we have to do something great to matter. Something extraordinary to make a difference. But what I've learned over these last 15 years in ministry, that it's the ordinary. It's the little things. That began to impact and change people. It's that warm smile that you give somebody. That embrace. Letting them, letting, letting them know that you're there. That you care. Because no matter how big or how small or how rich or how poor, they matter. Naaman, pleasant, mattered. But so did the maiden, who had been captured and was, in all practical purposes, a slave, but shared her faith. There's a prophet who can heal. And so maybe you're standing in line at HEB or Walmart or uh, wherever you shop. And maybe the person in front of you is just going through one of those days and just needs that, that little word of encouragement that you think really is insignificant that could make all the difference in the world. God loves you. And so do I. In our search for significance, what I'm learning is God uses what we think is insignificant to make a difference. I 
I don't know where you're at, how you're feeling, or what you're thinking. But you matter. Your prayers matter. Your help matters. Your friendship matters. God loves you. Many years ago, I was invited to preach a revival in Monterey, Mexico. That doesn't seem strange to you. Those who know me know it's very strange. Because I'm sure there are some of you here that speak better Spanish than I do. And I was, I was invited to preach a four-day revival. And the theme of the, of the, of the revival was... In Spanish, it was el fluir del Espíritu Santo en la vida del creyente. The flowing of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Oh, and I got so excited. Because that's, that's, that's something that the preacher, he said, oh, I can preach that. I can preach it and I can go down there and I can lay it on heavy and I can give it to them. And, <clears throat> and, and, and as I was saying that, I didn't realize it at the time, but as I looked back, it was all about I. It was all about me. What I can go do for our poor, humble brothers and sisters in Mexico. I can go do that. I can go help them. And as God often does, He turned things around. You see, because when I arrived at the fellowship hall of that small church, I was greeted with such love. It overwhelmed me. I was overwhelmed by their love that was so genuine. They laid a feast before me. And that's when I got like this. They laid this feast. And I knew it took much of their resources to do that. They just loved on me. And I was starting to feel uneasy. I said, oh, Lord, what have you done to me? And then as we got ready for the first service in the, in the sanctuary, I could hear the, the, the praise and worship music flowing. And, uh, and I could hear people singing. And I was, I was walking into worship. And as soon as I stepped into that sanctuary, I knew without a shadow of a doubt I was standing on holy ground. This was a community that was engaged in worship like nothing I had ever seen or experienced. And as I'm there worshiping with them and, 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 and singing with them and, and just uh, experiencing all that God was doing, I started to think. Always a bad time to think. When you're in worship. Lord. Why am I here? Why did you bring me here? There is nothing I can teach or say to these people. About the flowing of the Holy Spirit. In the life of the believer. That they don't already know. <laughs> it's evident. They know how to worship. And they know how to let the Holy Spirit. Flow in them and through them and around them. Why am I here? And I started to sweat. 
said, I had all these sermons ready. Four sermons. I was ready to preach it. I was ready. And it wasn't right until right before I got up to preach. I'm crying by this time. The Lord answered me. And he said, my silly child, you're not here for them. They're here for you. To show you what's possible. When my church will worship me in spirit and in truth. I thought I was a significant one. I thought I was the one that mattered. thought I was going to teach them. And those that I thought were insignificant truly mattered and taught me. God loves you. He loves you. God loves you unconditionally because you matter, because you're not insignificant. No matter what society will say or try to say, you matter so much that God sent his son for you. And so now we need to take that reality, that recognition that we matter, that we're sons and daughters of God, and that that we have a purpose, and go out and share that with someone else. You see, our mission and our focus at Asbury is to expand the kingdom of God one relationship at a time by sharing the love and compassion of Jesus with everyone. And so today I'd like to encourage you, if you're not already, to take part in building the kingdom of God. One relationship at a time. You don't have to do it in front of a whole big room if that intimidates you. You don't have to go out and stand on the street corner unless God tells you to. All you've got to do is be you. And one person at a time. Let them know God loves them by showing compassion and love to them in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me?